Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm back. <laughs> Welcome to what I'm calling season three of Burnout. It's a podcast where I, Anupa Mystery, have short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists from Toronto and beyond. So the backstory behind this episode is that a slew of really weird technical difficulties led to Akua and I sitting around the studio, hanging out and talking for like two hours before we even got on the mic. But when we finally did get in there, she covered a ton of territory. Akua has toured with Solange as one of her backup singers, and she currently lives in L.A. When we talked, she was in Toronto on tour with another band and performing songs from her first full-length album, Them Spirits. It just came out a couple months ago, and it's a beautiful record about persisting through grief. Akua got super candid about the pressures of creating music when life has its own plans. It was so new to have lost my dad, but then I got this crazy experience that was, like, so otherworldly. It was a funny time to, like, usher in joy because I was still, like, Mm -hmm. in a lot of pain. It felt like a distraction, but I did. I allowed myself to enjoy it. There was a lot of times when I wanted to go, and my dad's illness was something that made me kind of stay. Like, I, I watched a lot of my friends in my 20s kind of do whatever the hell they wanted and, like, Yeah, when he passed, I was just like, okay, I guess I can go. producing and recording and singing. I don't really know too much of your backstory. You know, I haven't given London a ton of credit, but I actually had a lovely upbringing. I'm thinking more now about London in the context of, like, my family and their circle of friends. Mm -hmm. And my parents both are not from London. My mom's from Nova Scotia. My dad's from Ghana. Mm -hmm. So they both got to London just for work. All their friends were basically, like, immigrants. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, my dad's best friend was Raj, who was... uh, like from an Indian born in Tanzania and Mm -hmm. he immigrated the same year as my dad. So they were like residents together. My mom moved in with a Greek family. So when she was 23 in London, Ontario, so we had like a huge Greek community growing up. We had like Egyptian neighbors. We had, and these were things that I was like thinking about my experience in London being kind of like very like a little bit more like homogenous and white. Like if I thought about my high school experience, but if I kind of if it's time I've zoomed out of being like wait there was actually like a lot of multiculturalism around me like in my own neighborhood and then yeah I actually went to McGill to study international development 
Oh, um, no way. Yeah, and I had not. I basically, like, sang in a high school talent show, and that was me being like, I think I sing, and then went to university and didn't think much about ever pursuing music, but then I joined an a cappella choir, which I think is really funny. Is that, like, a glee-type I defend the one I was in as being like the least glee thing ever. Like we sang Lauren Hill and Jill Scott. So I was just like, that's a choir. Mm-hmm. Like just instinctively I would make up my own harmony or like I'd pick up on the harmony line. And that's what like a cappella basically is. It's just singing with a group of people in harmony. And so that actually was perfect for me because I just had an ear. Like I don't know how to read music or anything like that, but I just learned everything. I had a really sharp ear. I like to sing like as a kid. Yeah. And and I it was funny because I was in Toronto to play a show. So I'm here and my mom and I are staying at an Airbnb and before my show last night I was like I need to warm up but like my mom's here and I still it's funny because I'm like I was like that as a kid I would wait for my parents to leave and then like belt out singing but like Mm. nobody could hear me or see me. At what point did it maybe not crystallize for you but at least feel like this is something that you needed to take more seriously? Mm, yeah like but I would just say like each year of university something else was happening there was like another friend who was like I have a reggae band so then I sang in a reggae band and the soul band I did more recording sessions with friends we started doing live shows a lot literally the month that I was graduating from McGill um, I had a job to go tree planting in BC I was like I want to get away from academia make some money be in nature and then I found out that my dad was re-diagnosed with cancer so I canceled that whole plan and stayed kind of between London and Montreal. And in that weird, okay, I thought I had a plan after university. I no longer have that plan. Was when I was like, maybe I'll just hang around Montreal a little bit longer and like keep doing music. Instead, I went home to London, Ontario that summer. Um, and by the time I got back to Montreal, nobody needed me. Like all the projects I was part of, I had been like replaced or people left or like had found, yeah. All of a sudden I was like, damn, I only like sing when people make me I'm very shook by what you just said why um I only sing when people make me Mm -hmm. that's like a kind of I think that's a really profound realization to have I mean I I, maybe I only say that because as you know it took me until like last year to be like I only write when people (laughs) pay me (laughs) like make things when people pay me and I'm like maybe I should do it on my own Mm -hmm. Um, well I think that's where I feel lucky is I'm like I have so many people to like I'm indebted to in the sense that like people were pulling it out of me also having a like immigrant father who really wanted me to be like lawyer doctor trajectory mm-hmm. was a huge that was like a huge factor at the time mm-hmm. what like he was like if you want to do it you should go to school for music and I was mm. like oh god here we go um yeah so it was supposed to be just this like year that I got to like play around that turned into like a decade of music <laughs> what happened in that year mm, my friend recorded me playing like an acoustic cover um of what it was. It's the song called "Perfect" by Doria Roberts. A friend. It was. It's such a random song that a, a, a college roommate of mine. I say college now. It's so weird. Yeah, America. I know. Yeah. Did it to me. It's also just easier to say than. That's okay. I asked for oat milk earlier. So. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> okay, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the first thing my friend like recorded me in his living room, put it on MySpace, and I was like, I listened to it like a thousand times. I was like. It, the idea of my voice recorded somewhere. What did you conceive of your career being at that point? 
Oh, I think I just had a really like kind of like pop model in my mind or something. Like I, I remember at the time that I started writing music, it was like Little Dragon and Leaky Lee and like all these like, there's a lot of like more maybe like underground bloggers and music. And I was paying a lot of attention to that quadrant. Like there was all these like. I love quadrant. Oh, tight. Yes. So how did you end up in L.A.? I just started going, I played a couple of my own shows back, like when I released my EP Once Company in 2013, I did a couple shows in New York for my own stuff, and then I started singing with Solange as her backup singer, and you were supposed to be based in New York, um, so I was basically pretending to live there. Meanwhile, via like being in Solange's band, we had done a bunch of trips to L.A. I'd met some friends from L.A. and at South by Southwest, mm-hmm. um, so they were like, yeah, if you're back in L.A., like we'll take you around, so then that trip... I remember seeing um, Ink. Do you know the band Ink? Mm-hmm. I-N-C, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember seeing them in a church basement in Highland Park, and it was this, like, pop-up show, and there was all these just, like... It felt like a Montreal thing, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Like, it was just this other world, and they were taking me to warehouse parties and, like, all this stuff. I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, not that, like... In my mind, L.A. was, like, this superficial, funny, ridiculous place that we had, you know, been to some, like, weird parties at. And then that that visit felt like, oh, there are, like, young people just, like, doing the same shit in New York, Montreal, Toronto, any of these cities. I was like, oh, there's, like, an just indie scene of, like, normal-ass people from L.A. just, like, mm-hmm. making music for the right reasons. Um, and that felt, and plus it was just, like, beautiful and weird and warm. And I was like, I want to spend a winter here. I just want to try this for like a few months and then I just like never quite came back. say to the idea that like you have to be in the thick of it to succeed you know earlier we talked about this idea that Toronto has a ceiling I mean first of all do you think that's true yes or no but also not everyone has the means to move everywhere people have family obligations they don't they can't physically relocate I don't love the idea that you have to move somewhere else to make your dreams happen. I also just think that's bad for cities and places if, like, everyone talented leaves. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't... I think the ceiling thing is more of a perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is... I think in general, like, having left is, like, all oh, Canada, we're, like, kind of carry a little bit of an underdog syndrome. Um, and I mean we as in, like, maybe artist types that are from here. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there really is a ceiling. I think you can do anything from anywhere. Especially now, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think you can kind of like export yourself where appropriate. You could just be based here and go and play shows and travel when you need to and then like have your lovely life in Toronto and such. Like, I think there are different markets for music and the American market is a major one. So mm-hmm. that's the irony is that I'm like, I feel like I'm the only one who ever moved to L.A. to like, like when you move there, people are like, oh, yeah, you're here like to like chase the dream. And I'm like, I feel like I came here to just like escape Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and I faced a lot of like as soon as I kind of got there and was alone was just like damn you know I was grieving from losing my dad and I think I needed some space from a lot of things and people 
I didn't leave because I was like, oh, Toronto has a ceiling. I left because I was seeking something. And ironically, the closer to like it, like all the the places that I thought I wanted to land and the rooms I thought I wanted to be in, the closer I got to that, the less I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's not too vague? No, it's not vague at all because I think that was my experience being in New York. Before I left, I was just tired of being here. I mean, I did leave because I felt like I hit a ceiling, but also I was, like, miserable. Like, I could tell something was going on. And I think I just needed to get out. But when I was there, I was like, yeah, this is, like, closer to whatever peak media job I might get. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I didn't love it. That was hard, right? You have to, like, readjust your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to your point about the ceiling and such, like, I feel like I feel like Canada is a great place to stay as an artist. You know, having left, it's just like, wow. I already kind of knew I was lucky to be able to, like, you know, have access to grants or resources. Um, like, some of these cities kind of start feeling like villages where, like, even where we're recording today, where it's like, oh, you could make, like, a call and suddenly have Mm. access to a studio like things just things felt so approachable here and especially like felt so nice to be able to like independently apply to like a grant or something um and then you know I'm in LA meeting these artists doing the same thing and I'm like they have nothing like Mm. there's no branch things are just like a lot more within reach here and Mm -hmm. like in terms of trying to amplify yourself and what you're doing like it's hard to make your shit pop in a place where everyone's shit is popping yeah and everyone's trying to do it you know so you have a new album out yes it's your first full-length album right yeah tell us what it's about it's called them spirits Mm -hmm. it's like a collection of songs i wrote over a pretty large period of time some of the central themes are loss and grief yeah my dad was dying from terminal cancer and I was trying to live and be a young person and an artist against the backdrop of trying to be, like, very available to my family. Some of the songs are sort of, like, while he was still alive. Some of them are after he passed. We lived a lot, like, during those years where he was so-called dying, like, we were all living. And, like, a lot of things, you just have to, like, keep being a normal person and, like, keep a job and, like... Yeah. Keep your shit together. Like anything that happened in that chapter personally still feels tied up in like my dad and his illness. So a chapter of my uh, young adulthood that was marked by like a lot of sadness. So I guess uh, you had this realization that you had a bunch of time that had passed and you hadn't put out a body of music or you hadn't put any work out. Yeah, I don't know when it... I mean, I you just feel... I just felt it because also in working with Solange's band, like, I was meeting artists all the time. You know, I still was really new as a solo artist, but then was in this world of people who were just kind of, like, suddenly almost peers but had been doing music a lot longer than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've always felt this pressure of being, like, you also, like, you do your own thing too. Like, you should get it together. But I was just, like, kept trying to work with producers and, like, nothing felt right. You know, someone's like, oh, here's a beat that Colella didn't want. And I'm like, I'm not trying to sing on the beat Colella didn't want. Like, mm-hmm. and, and at the time, that was kind of like, oh, Colella, Twigs, like these people. Like there was just this, a lot of the same type of sound that everyone was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this doesn't really sound like what I'm doing. So something. when did it get to the point where it felt right? Yeah, like I literally moved in with a really tight producer in L.A. He was like in the room next to me. Like we shared sub-bass frequencies and... Mm-hmm. I was quietly being like, maybe I'll work with, 
me one day you know and we'd be like oh what are you working on over there and I think we're both curious about each other but I think I have this silent thing of being like oh we could probably like maybe he's the one to like finally help me like finish this stuff he was like you don't need me you just think like there's someone else is the answer to your story be like you have all the answers and you're just not owning that it's another yeah. version of, like, you only sing when someone makes you kind of thing. Yeah, man, I've suffered from a ton of, like, stupid confidence issues that, like, I'm... And I think that's where the I get really self-conscious with being asked for the chronology and just being like, Dan, did it really take you that long to think you could do that thing? Each step of my trajectory, there was, like, it, I would get, like, stuck, and all of it was... A lot of it was just, like, confidence, you know? Um, and also, like, no rule book. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, like, throwing things into Gable- Ableton sessions, being like, that sounds kind of cool. Like, it just felt like so- I had no idea what I was doing. I think at a certain point, I was just like, damn, I've done this Solange thing. It was so major in terms of opening up, like, my world. But I was on the other side of this crazy experience where we, like, traveled the world and, like, met all these people and did crazy things. And then was just like, I'm still, like, the same person I was three years ago. and then my brother was like you should just try like you just open for her in Montreal like just do it you're gonna be in town so I did that got hired and basically just looked at my brother being like what are what do I do like we're playing Chicago like Pitchfork Music Festival in five days if I join her band we also have a ticket to Ghana in four days to take dad's ashes and he was like well we'll just change the trip to Ghana we'll go later do the thing this is crazy join the band and I was like oh am I allowed when those things were overlapping, wow. it was like we were, yeah, like we weren't even, it was so new to have lost my dad, but then I got this crazy experience that was like so otherworldly. It was a funny time to like usher in joy because I was still like mm-hmm. in a lot of pain. It felt like a distraction, but I did. I allowed myself to enjoy it. There was a lot of times when I wanted to go and my dad's illness was something that made me kind of stay. Like, I, I watched a lot of my friends in my 20s kind of do whatever the hell they wanted. And, like, yeah, when he passed, I was just like, okay, I guess I can go. Grief is, like, a huge, long, crazy process. It's never ending, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To finish the record also felt like I'd done a cert- certain amount of, like, emotional work. Mm. <laughs> you know, And it also meant, like, you're allowed to usher in other stages of, like, your life and you could maybe, like put the grief aside for a while and for people who are like listening and want to know like you did eventually end up going to Ghana so um yeah we took our dad's ashes to Ghana and they don't really do the ashes thing in Ghana it's a burial Mm -hmm. culture so we had a lot of adventures uh bridging that cultural gap with our family (laughs) in Ghana so that was, I don't know how much to get into that other than we, we took him home. He okay. made it home. Um, I didn't know you'd make me dig so deep in the, in the archives, like some of that stuff I like It's so about. good as someone who also feels like they kind of came late to really understanding and trusting themselves. And I'm still going through some of that stuff. Now I'm open to, to use a Tara Brock word, having more grace 
with myself about mm-hmm. that kind of thing and being Absolutely. like the stuckness is actually like information and I like that yeah. yeah you can you know like okay now something's not working so what can I do you know mm-hmm. yeah Just to like tell you how most of it went was me making demos on Ableton and finally like developing stuff where like, you know, I'd have like a demo and didn't have a bass line. So I'm like, okay, now I should start writing bass lines and then start writing bass, you know, just like on a synth in my room. And then I basically was just trying to go to, I would just go to someone, like I started meeting artists between Toronto and LA and I'd be like, can I just like come and record? Like I went to a girl's bedroom, she Molly recorded strings and like I'm literally just bringing my laptop and like recording the strings and um, I was just sort of like collecting these performances of ideas that I had had that I was finally like, oh, you could get other people involved in this. Like I was too shy to basically like approach people. And I definitely am not the type of artist that was like used to being in a studio for like four days straight and like laying everything down. I just was like, I don't know why I make music on my laptop. <laughs> so I kept doing that. I was just bringing my laptop in Apogee and like recording performances of different peoples and then taking it home and editing it and like then I met this guy, Alex Talon, who basically became my, like, right-hand man helping me. He was like, we can process all the stuff you've recorded. We can, like, go deeper on production, and I have a lot of amazing hardware. So, like, all the stuff you record, we could run through this, like, vintage preamp to, like, warm the sound. So then it got – that was really mm. exciting to me because I was like, oh, I've never really had, like, access to this stuff to just, like, treat sound. So then we, like, nerded deep on that. And this doesn't feel like an end point, but it feels like the beginning of, like, oh – I can kind of, like, be spearheading the production behind this. It doesn't mean I have to do it alone, Mm -hmm. but I can be, like, the main author. Yeah, I think for someone listening to this who's, like, trying to put a project together, I think you didn't just go to L.A. and have access to all of these, like, amazing people. It's like you took your laptop, you, like, collected things, and then you did, you know, you built on this network that you've developed and leaned on them for help, but originated with you kind of like putting in the work yourself you know yeah and one thing I've thought about like I've just in general been too timid with like approaching people um to help me like I think I had yeah I had like a feeling like people I wasn't like good enough to involve other- it wasn't because I, I felt like I should do stuff alone I just was too intimidated to ask and LA it didn't really like help in LA because I was like whoa everyone I'm meeting is like major like not a major label I just mean is like doing very impressive work in the city so yeah I would I just took me so long to just like you know what I've had the bass recorded for two months but like would not send the email to be like hey will you play bass on this the day I released the record I was feeling really burnt because I was doing this like I was preparing everything myself it's a self-release and I didn't even feel like talking about it. And, like, Nikki, my publicist, was like, are you going to post about it? <laughs> like, I just felt, like, burnt off the theme of the record on the day it was out. I was just like, I'm tired. Um, but then, yeah, obviously I, I posted about it and did all of the social things I was supposed to do. And then I had the weirdest – I kind of didn't feel much that day. And then later in the day I was just felt the biggest, like, the strongest feeling of humiliation. I felt so aware of how long it took me. 
to finish it because I got some emails from friends being like friends from other like Toronto like other eras being like hey like congrats like I know how long you've worked on this but it was uh I guess it just felt immense like the how much time had passed losing my dad moving to a new city losing friends making new ones um relationships it was so strange to have on a day that like marked an accomplishment I felt like a lack of or something Mm. so I'm still working through like the confidence thing it's just I think it'll always like you said it like there will always be these moments and blocks and it felt it felt like a really odd emotion that I didn't anticipate feeling but I also just think that that's like always been a struggle in general is pursuing the arts as like imposing a very like mainstream capitalist ethos or ethic on your art and the ways you kind of have to to make it a career but in how many ways that's actually like the last thing that makes sense to put on an artistic career you know um is that those kind of like expectations that things should just like line up in a really tight neat way that like the money's rolling in and you're making this career you know and like anyone who's been doing it longer than me I've seen it's like ebbs and flows but I do feel proud of it thanks for listening to burnout i'm still having a lot of fun doing this it's not on a regular schedule but i love having these conversations and i love sharing them with you i want to give a shout out to harry nazan at apollo studios vocal fry studios and anaba duncan for helping me with the recording If you like what you hear, please tell your friends and also subscribe to my newsletter, which is also called Burnout. You can find that at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A dot substack dot com.